You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, christianhumanist.org. Satan. We got Hallmark movies today, everybody. Um, <laughs> Merry Christmas from the Sectarian Review podcast. Um, I, I don't. I, this is becoming a yearly tradition. Last year we did a show on bad Christmas songs, which was kind of an opportunity to sort of trash. Uh, objectively bad Christmas art. And uh, this year I thought uh, I was at my mother's house for Thanksgiving and she started watching all the Hallmark movies at that moment. And I thought that would be a good thing to do for this year's uh, Christmas episode. And so we're uh, joined today by, uh, once again, my wife, Kim Anderson. Kim, say hello. Hello. Um, how are you today, honey? Good. How are you? Good, good. We didn't uh, talk much today. Yeah, no, it's been a, it's been one of those days so far. We've been busy. School's over for us, but it's, that doesn't really mean that our lives are any less busy for some strange reason because of children and such. Um, and um, and so joining uh, Kim and I today are uh, two uh, returning guests, Jordan, longtime guest, Jordan um, Poss. Jordan, how are you doing? Tired. <laughs> my, my last day of school, as we were talking about beforehand, is tomorrow. Like, I'm... I'm Classes are well over, grades are turned in, but there's still busy work, and I'm I'm ready to just be unconscious for a while. But we have we have kids too, so that's not really. <laughs> yeah, and they're not giving you much time as we record. It's only uh, just over a week before Christmas, right? And so right, yeah, right. So they're not not much of a break in there between the holiday. Yeah, my oh. wife is teaching until Friday. Oh gosh, I mean, uh, <laughs> does she teach public school? Uh, no, actually, which is strange, but I think they're, but I think her school actually follows the public school schedule okay. really closely. Yeah. Our so. kids, our kids are both in until Friday too. And, uh, mm-hmm. so, which is bizarre. So, uh, yeah, I just, maybe <laughs> I'm just misremembering my youth, which is entirely possible, but I seem to remember having like three weeks off at Christmas and, and my kids certainly do not have that. I, I, I don't right. know if that's true. We didn't not. have standardized testing, but that's another, well, uh, that's episode. true. And, no, yeah. and we didn't do anything, but we did more than just watch movies the last three weeks of classes after the standardized <laughs> testing is over, so, uh, which is another annoyance. But um, especially when we're making up snow days from the winter and they're oh, sitting watching movies and during the snow day makeups in June. And so anyway, um, rant is over for there. Um, joining uh, the three of us is Chris Pepkin. Chris from Emanuel College. Hi. How are you doing? Doing just fine. How are you? I'm doing great. Um, this great. is uh, I'm out of school too, and so things are great around here now. Um, your first uh, uh, time on the Sectarian Review podcast was kind of awesome. Uh, you joined us <laughs> to talk about it, Wild it Wild Country, <laughs> and uh, if you if you haven't heard that or watched that show yet, you should go, definitely go back to Netflix and watch Wild Wild Country, a really great um, documentary series about a, a very interesting cult in uh, the, the Pacific Northwest and Chris had uh, alerted me to that and then came on the show to talk about it with uh, Todd Pedler and so it was a lot of fun really happy to have him back um, and Chris again you reached out for me for this and you heard through the grapevine that I was going to do a show about this uh, from Nathan I, I did yeah I was at a uh, faculty Christmas party um, in late November because uh, at Emmanuel College as I'm sure some listeners might know <laughs> we have a bizarre uh, schedule that allows me to um, be slightly sane um, by <laughs> by this point in in the year, um, so so yeah, we wrapped up um, 
before Thanksgiving and had a uh, had a faculty Christmas party and my wife and I were talking about how we like to um, kind of watch these made for TV Christmas movies uh, mystery science theater 3000 style um, <laughs> and uh, Nathan Gilmore who was there um, said oh you need to reach out to Danny because he's thinking of uh, you know he's thinking of doing a, a show on this so I did yeah the the, the, you, the stars align and here you are so mm-hmm. all right and speaking of stars uh, these movies don't really have many <laughs> these movies um, <laughs> typically are if anything have like stars for that you recognize from the past um or yes. or the best kind of stars i would argue <laughs> exactly right um but i guess i just want to talk a little bit i i d- really don't want this show to become uh let's just trash on things um i really yeah. i find those kinds of podcasts to be annoying there's one called the thing I, I forget what it's called but something their whole topic is the music you hate all sucks and we're we're just going to sit around and trash everything and i just find that obnoxious i don't want this to be that i, I want this to be a, a critique of things um but i don't necessarily want us to sit and trash on things and incidentally next week's episode um, we've already recorded it as the, the recording for this is about love actually um, Kim and I sat down with the farmers. It's a couple episode uh, examining Love Actually, and uh, and it was a lot of fun. I really love that movie, but I found myself essentially kind of critiquing it and, and quasi trashing it the whole time uh, while explaining how much I love it. And so that, that's sort of my, my go to thing here. I don't particularly love these movies, um, but the critiques come from a place of love and not one of, of elitism for me, at least at least that's my intention. So um, and so let's kind of uh, just kind of step back. I think everybody knows what we talk about when I say Hallmark movie. At this point, Hallmark doesn't have a monopoly on these films. Uh, I think, Chris, you pointed out to me that Netflix has a whole series of these. Am, am I right about mm-hmm. that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. And um, and there's like the Family Channel, I think, has these. And Lifetime. And Lifetime. There's, yep. And so... Uh, this is more like it's kind of like uh, Xerox is the brand <laughs> that we talk. All copies are now Xeroxes, right? Um, and so all of these movies are Hallmark movies, and so um, we're just going to use that as a shorthand, knowing that it is more than just the Hallmark Channel that's making them. But so I, I thought we could talk about our kind of personal experiences with these films, and then we kind of sort of get into the the, the debate about them. Um, I thought maybe I'd let Kim uh, begin here. Ours will probably run. Very close together here. Um, so we tend to watch them when we go to Dan's parents' house in Ohio and at no other time. And we do it yes. kind of a little bit mystery science theater style as well, um, to the chagrin of Dan's mom, who actually likes them and typically talks about how it's the real meaning of Christmas. And then we make snarky <laughs> comments about how Christmas is about Jesus and we didn't see Jesus in the film. Um, but I digress. And my mom um, is a former pastor who should know better. Yes. yes. Um. Which is part of the reason why it's so easy to poke fun. Um, so, um, but she she kind of laughs it off. So, um, so that's that's our biggest experience. Yeah, it really is. Um, for me, I actually have kind of a pleasant experience with these movies because it's either this or Fox News, and so um, I would far and away take this over that. And so, um, yeah, when just as something on in the background that you can drift in and out of. And as last night, I was watching one and I fell asleep for 45 minutes at a time. I didn't really feel like I missed anything. No, so, that one was like a two hour episode that could have been 15 minutes. It yeah. was. Yes, it was beautiful, rich people to whom very nice things constantly happen to. And that's yeah. the plot of the movie. And so, yeah. Um, and so, uh, yeah, that's that's sort of our experience with these films. Um, Jordan, what about you? Uh, I've got a my, my, my experience is maybe a little bit more complicated. So growing up. <laughs> 
you know, we had like two channels, you know, and, and an actual aluminum antenna up on the top of the mountain behind our house that we had to go adjust if we wanted to pick up anything else. Uh, but one of the channels we got had the seasonal Hallmark Hall of Fame movie. Like, you know, two or three came out a year, something yeah. like that. I can't remember how often it was. But it was always a Sunday night. And I remember whenever there was one of these on, it was like, whatever's going on at church, like, wrap it up and get out the door so we can get home to catch this. <laughs> these are the, you know, the pre-DVR days, which feels like the Middle Ages now. Um, but uh, those were like, at least the impression that I have, and kind of looking back through a few of them, were a little bit more like prestige TV. Yeah. I mean, and, and I've actually borrowed a couple from the library in the last few years, and my wife and I have watched them and... You know, they're TV movies, but they're often based on relatively quality books, uh, have interesting plot lines, decent acting. Um, they're cheap, but they don't look bad cheap. Mm -hmm. You know, some, many of them are historical, and, you know, that's like right up my alley for the stuff that I want to nitpick. But they don't, they don't look terrible, you know. Uh, and, I mean, they deal with, like, some pretty heavy stuff. Uh, there's one that was actually shot in my hometown that deals with like World War II veterans who are kind of still getting over their experiences. Okay. Uh, so, so there you've got one where the protagonists are all elderly people, which you do not get with these Christmas ones, right? <laughs> They're always kind of like the wise supporting characters in these new movies. Um, my dad, my dad calls the new movies uh, "pretty people" movies. <laughs> um, yes, for and sure. uh, uh, I mean uh, the nineteen seventies adaptation of "All Quiet on the Western Front." was a Hallmark movie. What? Something, yeah. <laughs> Something you're not going to see nowadays. No. So that was my, when, when I heard the phrase Hallmark movie growing up, that's kind of mentally what I was thinking of. You know, these kind of like relatively feel-good prestige TV, like relatively high production standards TV movies that would come out, you know, a couple times a year. Uh, now, though, and I'm, and I'm not sure at what point I really became aware of this kind of current iteration, but it was sometime... I want to say it must have been since my wife and I got married, like, and you know, we're we're going to have our sixth anniversary this coming summer. Because I, a lot of what I associate with Hallmark Christmas movies now, I used to associate with like the really cheap BBC series that would come out, you know. Okay. Um, like literary adaptations that kind of run on, you know, class struggle and romantic misunderstandings, <laughs> you know, north and south and that kind of stuff. Uh, but um. I'm, I'm not, I really can't – I've been racking my brains and I can't really find a transition point at which I began to be more aware of this phenomenon. But it's been going on the better part of a decade and a half, surprisingly. Um, there's some – I think it's interesting to look at the old ones and see how they've kind of evolved toward the extremely formulaic ones they've got now. Um, but they've been doing this a really, really long time. And just in the last few years, I think I've gotten really aware of it. And it's, it's kind of – kind of similar to y'all's story um my mom watches them a lot um she doesn't really say much about them she just kind of watches them has them on in the background often when she's doing stuff and then just kind of moves on to the next one and, and really enjoys them but isn't maybe super invested my wife though <laughs> my wife really ambivalently likes watching them okay uh she watches them and watches them with me and apologizes continuously <laughs> for how cheesy they are and I mean, just she maybe rolls her eyes more than I do, uh, but just can't just can't stop watching them. Just really, really enjoys them. So she's I feel like maybe that's maybe the healthiest attitude. Enjoy them for what they are. But uh, 
maybe feel a little bit bad about it. <laughs> you should at least be aware, right? I think that's sort of yeah, what yeah. I want to kind of get at with this show. Yeah, and as you're talking about this, I did a little bit of research. There's a, an article on NPR. I'll try to put the uh, the show. There's a couple of articles. I'll put links up in the show notes, uh, one mm-hmm. of which is behind a paywall for some reason on Christianity Today. Um, but if you, if you subscribe to that, it's worth reading just because it's so abjectly terrible, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But, um, but the NPR one just does kind of a little bit of a background. They talk about the Christmas train as the, one of this like it's more of a prestige film right and it's got right. they named Danny Glover Dermot Mulroney and, and Joan Cusack some like name actors at the time right and there's production value and I do remember the Hallmark Hall of Fame series right and somehow that morphed into this extremely disposable form that, that yes. we're, we're sort of talking about today that is so light it doesn't you don't even remember the <laughs> anything about yeah, it yeah. after having watched it right um, yeah the, the Hall of Fame you know there was a couple of those a year and now I mean I think they're turning out a couple of dozen yeah of these Christmas movies per year there um, were 36 in 2018 yeah, 37 oh excuse me sorry yeah it, it's an extremely fast production pace and um, and yeah and so and I guess it maybe fit perfectly fits with our binge watching culture or whatever but mm-hmm. um, 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 Chris I, I want you to save the little game part uh, for later but uh, but, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. but what is your uh, other than that what's your ex- uh, experience with these movies yeah, so it's a little bit different and probably points to what a terrible person I am in comparison to uh, to the three of you. Um, uh, my parents actually don't like this genre, and they will leave the room when my wife and I turn it on. Um, uh, we got into it as kind of an instance of a So Bad It's Good sort of movie, okay. um, like uh, Troll 2 or Birdemic or, you know, really famously The Room, although I don't like that one that much, um, or... Um, Dancing It's On is is to me just the greatest so bad it's good movie. Um, but um, but yeah, my, my wife and I just like to kind of watch these movies and 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 laugh at them. Um, and uh, that took us in the direction of Christmas movies that we could usually find uh, streaming um, on Hulu mm-hmm. or Netflix or um, you know one of these other providers. Um, so we would, uh, you know, we'd, we'd just kind of watch them and, and laugh at the goofiness. A lot of times the production value is very low, um, so the writing is not terribly good and the acting is not terribly good. Um, and, yeah, for that reason, it's enjoyable to us mostly. Um, occasionally, though, you know, um, as we get to some of the more um, well-made ones or interestingly made ones, you know, they, they will hit um, moments that are um, um, fun anyway um and 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 you know i think i think genuinely enjoyable and i think we do to some extent you know we we can just enjoy the movie for what it is and not just have to constantly be saying you know nitpicky things uh, about them although that to me enhances the fun <laughs> you, yeah you're sort of pioneers in hate watching right uh, yeah <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I guess I have. That's the pleasure I derive out of them, though I don't seek them out to do it. It's sort of something I do just to kind of get through the experience. Um, I guess my feeling is I, I know there's so much great like visual art out there that I will never get to just because of time. I hate mm-hmm. to waste any time watching watching stuff that I know is bad. Um, but then I know that I do in other genres, too. So uh, so I have to sort of acknowledge that as well. But yeah, go ahead, Kim. Well, I think that brings up a, a good point that was in that NPR article you referenced. It ends with saying something about um, it. That article kind of talks about how the movies are formulaic, which I think we can get to. But um, the last 
paragraph says something along yes. the lines of, um, you know, they, they churn these out and it's kind of like chicken nuggets. You know, McDonald's sells a lot of them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think I would rather eat chicken cordon bleu or <laughs> we discovered chicken Kiev this week, which was delicious. Um, I'd much rather eat that than chicken nuggets. But, you know, we do drive our child through the drive through at McDonald's sometimes. And, you know, so it's like, I think a lot of people watch them because it's easy and, um, you know, I don't know. It's just mindless. And I think that's something that sometimes you need, but I think there are better ways to get that kind of entertainment. Yeah. Yeah. I read that last paragraph and thought, why do I even need to go on the show? This is exactly what I think <laughs> of these movies. Yeah. Because <laughs> they, they, they say exactly what I say to my wife every time we watch one, which is like, they are exactly the same every time. I mean, it is amazingly consistent. Like, we, we can joke about how bad the quality is, but it is exactly the same. And um, those, you know, Netflix and Lifetime trying to kind of horn in on that market. We've watched a few of those, and, I mean, we, we are comparing the quality of Burger King nuggets to McDonald's nuggets here. <laughs> but, I mean, the, the lack of um, that consistent creative control over especially the tone of the other movies points out to, like, how skilled – hallmark is in creating these things um which again is you know maybe damning with with faint praise yeah um yeah i'm not talking about the consistency of say shakespeare (laughs) no something it's interesting they they do like there are versions of these that do try to do something more interesting and and you mentioned shakespeare i it would not surprise me if some of these plots are derived from shakespeare plots Mm -hmm. um but i we did see one at my mom's house over thanksgiving that was Pride and Prejudice. It was Christmas at Pemberley yeah. Manor. Oh, thank you. I could oh, not I think I just saw that one. <laughs> I just happened night. to notice I heard the about it. title. Yeah, and honestly, just on the level of watching for how they make the adaptation, that was kind of enjoyable to watch. Uh, and, and there was a better production value to that one. And at least the story. I mean, because it's Jane Austen was good, right? I mean, and so, um, uh, but yeah, the, the but it was still the same formula of you know there was a uptight business manager that was over the you know the this girl who played a servant you know like to her and was terrified of her, and then there was a man who played that opposite of her, and it's been a few weeks since we saw that one, but I mean it was very much the same formula. It was just set mm-hmm. in you know, a different location. It was a really interesting way of like merging kind of quality art that, I mean, Jane Austen is objectively great art, right? Um, Steal from the best. Yeah, for sure. With this kind of pop, like fast food sensibility. And it was really interesting to watch how that goes together. So uh, yeah, that one was actually somewhat interesting to watch, although I didn't finish it. Um, And so because, you know, the dinner came on and all that. But um, but so there I do want to kind of address uh, uh, one article that I, I came across. It's from 2015. And this must be one of those things that Christianity Today just republishes every year around this time. Um, but it's uh, published in Christianity Today, and it is behind a paywall. If you, I think, go on their Facebook page and look for it, mm-hmm. I think you can get the whole thing. Um, I'll try to post the link that'll get you the whole thing, but if not, uh, I apologize. Um, it's by D.L. Mayfield, and it's called Hallmark Christmas Movies 
guilty pleasures no more guilty pleasure no more um and she's making this really interest or kind of i think it's a terrible article okay i just want to throw my cards out on the table this like made me like i don't i'm bald but it would it would have made me pull my hair out had not that not been already the case and um but so she's basically making any critique of these movies an elitist class-based and sexist critique of these movies right and so if the only way people ever critique these are if they are snobs or misogynists um, basically is the point of her article right um, and, and I just found it to be just overwhelmingly stupid um, as an argument I have no idea what she's written she might be like a terrific uh, writer and other things but I think her reading here are, is, is totally wrong and Christianity Today should be ashamed for publishing it but, um, <laughs> but the um, um, the one point at which, first of all, rhetorically, she quotes, uh, I'm just going to read from here. My friend and Christ and pop culture founder, Richard Clark, once told me that he doesn't believe in guilty pleasures. Watch what you want to watch, he said. If you truly feel guilty about watching something, maybe you should turn it off. And so, first of all, that's the strangest appeal to authority that I've ever heard. I mean, like, so... <laughs> A buddy of mine said it's okay, so okay. Um, and so, but second of all, watch what you want to watch, and then if you do feel guilty about it, you should stop watching about it. But you're not allowing yourself to feel guilty about it because you cut off any means of critique um, in the rest of her article, right? And so, like, I just find it to be the the the. the terrible argumentation here. Um, and so, I don't want to go on and rant and rant and rant about this. But she basically, I want, I want to read one more. Um, uh, critique or one more line passage from the article. Perhaps our desire for elite taste beyond the Hallmark Channel fair comes out of a sense of pop culture classism. While exploring the enormous enormous popularity of Celine Dion, music writer Carl Wilson presented a theory from sociologist Pierre Bourdieu, wherein taste becomes a way to set us set ourselves apart from those whose social ranking is beneath us and take aim at the social status we feel we deserve. We see this play out culturally in our sneers directed at Celine, uh, romantic movies or even the incredibly popular Adele. Anything deemed so accessible by women, women from a wide variety of classes in particular, automatically becomes an issue of bad taste for those who consider themselves more refined. And and I just think that's such a terribly like um, blind spot argument. I, I just I do not buy that argument at all. Um, and I think it's a very straw man argument uh, to make. And, and I, I, I just want to get I know, Chris, you had emailed me a nice response to this, too. I was going to ask you what you thought about this first. Yeah, to, to an extent, um, I, I can think I think I can see where she's coming from just in the sense that it's really easy to pull something apart, you know, and, mm -hmm. and, and that's part of why to me it's, it's fun. You know, it's my <laughs> own version of, you know, television, television McDonald's, you know, um, um, but at the same time, the assumption that she's making from the beginning is that there's no objective, um, aesthetic value slash even spiritual value in anything. Um, and I think that's wrong. Um, I think that it's not just a matter of, I, I don't think class dictates everything about whether you find something good or, or bad. I think there are a lot of other factors involved. And I think that um, people of any class can find value in better things. Um, mm -hmm. So not, not that I'm condemning people that do enjoy Hallmark movies. And I, I think on a, on a level, they, they certainly are enjoyable, but I think, um, 
objectively sort of aesthetically um they are usually not very good (laughs) yeah and on on the note of class i mean this is my little keyword i suppose are you gonna transition to another topic because i'd like to talk about the article first oh um no no um i'm gonna follow up something about this article um i think that she says um she makes a false assumption that this is for the lower classes, right? And the upper mm-hmm. classes are critiquing it. And that is totally wrong. My consistent position mm-hmm. on this show is that um, stuff like this is like middle brow, okay? This is mm-hmm. not, it's neither high nor low. Low class art is actually kind of awesome. That's why I love comics and horror films because it actually does make a class critique. Stuff like this does not make a class critique at all. It just reaffirms um, class structures as they exist. And so it actually serves the upper class uh, by, uh, I mean, this is sort of an opiate of the masses sort of thing, I think. And, <laughs> and, and so I think that, um, like, I think she's got, a, she's totally misusing um, the, the subject of class in this, in this reading of this. This is not for the lower classes. This is for the bourgeoisie. I mean, this is, this is a middle brow, um, banal art that um, does not make a class critique. And I think that's exactly why we should critique it. I think she's um, hijacking terms and she doesn't know how to know it does, and she's not using them correctly. Um, Kim. Um, well, first of all, I think Celine and Adele have talent, yeah. Um, yeah. even if people criticize them. Yeah, who's making fun of a, I don't, I've not read mm. these articles that she's right. talking about. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, so even if they're being made fun of, which I haven't heard either, um, you know they do have talent i and and they're they're a form of art that i think should be appreciated for what they are whether or not you know dan doesn't love top 40 i enjoy it because we have kids and they enjoy it and so i listen to it with them but you know i think it is there for a reason um i think this is like in a completely different class i think as a woman she should be offended about the positions they put women in and things like that um so i think maybe she's barking up the wrong tree but there's a quote too from the article that says um this year my first time sitting down to watch their feel good movie marathon um i think feel good is interesting i think people it's like the opiate of the masses right people just watch it because it makes them feel good um but the plot lines were familiar to me as an evangelical girl who grew up longing for a safe happy magical world where it felt like christmas every day and to me it's like you know that world is elusive and that's not what christianity is supposed to be all about and and i think that that i think that sums up a lot of why people like it though um because i think we i think a lot of people live in like a fantasy world or they want to live in a fantasy world and not everything is safe happy magical um where it feels like christmas every day um so i i think that's um, my critique of our article yeah and and the fact that i mean that is basically saying this is the equivalent of a Thomas Kincaid painting, right? Then, um, which is, uh, I mean, just theologically a disaster. I mean, those are, mm-hmm. I mean, he explicitly writes, I just wrote something that should be coming out. It might be out by the time this is um, um, published about Tom Waits, actually. His, his, uh, his song, Christmas Card from a Hooker in Minneapolis, is actually the greatest Christmas song. Um, and so, um, but, uh, and it's a hyperbolic argument, I admit. But the, um, but the, um, uh, the point was that Thomas Kincaid actually explicitly said he likes to imagine a world without the fall. 
Okay. And so if that is the case, there is no need for Christmas, right? Christmas depends on (laughs) entering into a world of pain. And this is the argument I was making in that article. And and so, um, uh, yeah. And so I think that, yeah, she's saying the same thing about here. And it's like, this is a failure of the evangelical imagination and it's, and it's a moral failure, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I I don't want to rant the whole show, so I'm going to turn it over to you guys for further (laughs) thoughts on this. Go ahead, Chris. Well, kind of. Oh, go, go ahead. ahead. Sorry. Uh, yeah. Um, you, you'd said, Danny, that um, this is I, I'd, I'd kind of like to get into um, what you're saying a bit more about, um, you know, this being middle brow art. Basically, it sort of reaffirms the status quo um, and how that relates to the fact that, like in these movies, very often um, you have sort of the big city and the, you know, corporate elitist you know, people who are not portrayed usually as very sympathetically, right? right. And, and a lot of times the, the story is about, you know, usually a uh, single working woman going from the big city and her corporate job to a small town um, where, you know, she learns all about small town values and how great they are and how much better they are than big cities and, and the corporate world. Um, so, I don't know. I, I think I think in that sense, someone could make the argument that um, you know, even though there are plenty of middle class values that get reaffirmed here, sort of capitalistic, um, you know, urban city culture are is is really kind of not treated as as being great. It, it's certainly not a defense for you know the wealthy in that sense but but Mm -hmm. i think probably you'd say um in in other senses maybe it is i would say though that typically you know the the small town people are also very rich they're just not driven Mm -hmm. um they also sometimes have businesses that are doing very well and things like that um and so it's just it's still the same class it's just a different they just have different values Hmm. That is a theme I see over and over in these movies, Kim, is that you've got like corporate capitalism, which is the bad guy in these movies. Usually Mm -hmm. there's usually some lawyer who wants to buy some local business and make it Mm -hmm. some sort of uh, corporate you know, outpost in, in the middle of the, of the beautiful, pristine country. Right. Um, and then the community rallies together to save the local business. Right. And so it's like. There's awesome capitalism and there's bad capitalism, right? And so, um, and so, I think it's still depending on the same sorts of uh, like economic structures. It's just sort of saying that the urban ones, the uh, are the elitist ones, and the ones that are in the countryside are are the mm. pure ones, right? And so, um, and and yeah, and I think that in that way, if these movies completely fail to make class critiques, and that kind of reminds me at the very end of this article. Um, excuse me, those desires to see and experience forgiveness, homecoming, peace, redemption, all stem from deep spiritual needs. So she's saying that this is why it's okay that people should watch this crap. Um, And wouldn't it be better if we didn't judge people for seeking out those kinds of stories, if instead we strove to find the commonalities of desire that transcend gender, race, and class? Now that would be a Christmas miracle indeed. But what this movie does is completely ignore um, all of those issues about gender, race, and class, and in fact, reaffirm the oppressive nature of those structures in our society. And so like, and so like her solution is the problem. I think more of this is not the solution to the, to the, to what this is uh, um, trying to address, I guess. Um, yeah. Um, I am really starting to rant. And so um, uh, Jordan, <laughs> what did you want to say about this? 
Uh, a couple, a couple ideas. Uh, one, um, go, going back for a minute to whatever it was she said about wanting, wanting for it to feel like Christmas every day. Yeah. Uh, I don't know that she's saying that unapologetically and uncomplicatedly. I think, I think she's, I think she implies that that desire is not necessarily a good thing, even if she doesn't do a great job of kind of rebutting it later in the article. Uh, but that kind of puts me in the mind, like talking about you know, the, the tendency among modern evangelicals to be uncomfortable with discomfort. Right. Yeah. Um, so Narnia, right. It's famously described as always winter, never Christmas. Yeah. Cause there's like no hope there. Oh, nice. If, yeah. but, but I mean, this is almost like the opposite mistake where if it's Christmas every day, right. <laughs> I mean, the, the fact that Christmas is like discreet and fi- a discreet and finite celebration, I think is part of its meaning. Um, and so, you know, it's, um, I'm, I'm dieting right now, so I'm trying. I gotta keep going back to food <laughs> metaphors. Like, you know, chicken nuggets with every meal or but butter on everything you eat is going to have the same effect, right? Where you're going to get, you know, spiritual diabetes, I guess, if it if it's Christmas every day. Um, and I th- I think she kind of hints that that is a, a pr- problematic way to look at it, but again, doesn't quite debunk it at the end. Um, and I have to say, I. I should probably go back through this article. I read it, but uh, like the Hallmark movies themselves, you watch it and then immediately forget everything. <laughs> <in it. Yeah. laughs> so, um, yeah, so so that that's as much as I can say about that. Um, as as for kind of you know, as as we've talked about before, I'm not exactly like the class warfare guy, but um, I almost feel like what what I've gotten out of a bunch of these movies, it's almost like a kind of illiterate version of like a Wendell Berry vision of society. Oh, nice. Mm. Yeah. Where class and capitalism themselves are kind of secondary where, you know, what the, what the movies stress over and over again is, um, the value of tradition, you know, cause it's, it's not just that the big corporate honcho is trying to take my store. He's trying to take my store that my granddad handed Mm. on to me, which has a value on it that you can't actually put into money. And it's the people who, try to convert everything into dollars that are the bad guys. So, I mean, yeah, they're trying to keep open a capitalistic enterprise, but there's something more and actually something transcendent kind of wrapped up into it. Mm-hmm. Um, especially the the big city versus small town conflict. I mean, in the big city, you know, you're anonymous. And in small towns, I mean, you see this. It's a cliche, but they, they do dramatize this. Everybody knows each other. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. Um, which, you know... You may like or you may want to escape, but that that is kind of a fact of small town life. And by turning it up to 11 the way they do, they are, again, kind of ineptly, but uh, they are trying to dramatize kind of the corruption of like a kind of big city urban mechanistic capitalism versus the kind of capitalism that thrives underneath the value shared by a whole town. And there's one here's one that I actually remember a little detail from. There's one my wife and I watched a few weeks ago where there's like two competing toy stores next door to each other. Okay. <laughs> and, you know, if if this were strictly about the goods of capitalism, one of them would eventually drive the other one out of business. But they find a way for both of them to stay open and yeah. cooperate. Uh, right. Um, and you see that. In a, there's a couple of others that I've seen similar to that. Uh, we're actually in the middle of one on DVD right now where the same guy basically does everything in town. He like 
runs the diner and the garage. <laughs> and does he wear plaid sale. shirts all the time? Um, yes. 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 <laughs> they always um, have to wear pla- and khakis and great hair. Yes. Those guys have great. Yeah. Hair. <laughs> well, he's he's close to bald. Uh, oh, okay. oh. But anyways, <laughs> good for him. Yeah. So yeah. So th- those are a couple of my observations, and I no- I notice those things because I'm sympathetic to that. Like mm. I'm not I'm not anti-capitalist, but I am anti. I, I'm, you know, I'm more, I'm a conservative, but I'm a more Burkean conservative. So right. that even capitalism and liberty are abstractions that you can push way too far. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. It has, it has mm-hmm. to, in Burke's words, inhere in some sensible object. And again, my grandfather's store or my Christmas tree farm and my neighbors, especially those connections, yeah. um, those are the things that seem to matter more uh, in the Hallmark vision. And I'll just, <laughs> I'll just go ahead and end this, this little thing with uh you know they, they maybe should check themselves a little bit because the bad guys in a lot of these movies are interchangeable with the bad guys from ernest goes to camp <laughs> <laughs> right just you, you remember that the you know the big city oh, yeah. mining guys who want to buy the camp and i love them. the Ernest movies that, so i do yeah. love the lowbrow stuff i'm all about that yeah. stuff yeah right <laughs> but, i mean if, if you can swap bad guys with an Ernest movie may, maybe you should you know work a little harder <laughs> That's funny. Um, I, and I want to say, though, that even their depiction of like small, the idyllicness of small town life and sort of the, the purity of it. So we happen to live in a small town in which most people um, who live there have their grandparents and great grandparents always lived here. Right? right. And so they do treat each other that way. But try being a person who moves into that environment and see how well how welcoming it can be sometimes. Right. Now, yeah. we have over we have over the last several years made inroads to good relationships right but it is it's a struggle among certain people who um there's an insularity right that Mm -hmm. totally gets left out of this um this hallmark vision um well i don't know because the the big business honchos come in and, and i i'm from a small town and i've seen this because where i'm from is a huge second home and retirement community so on one hand, you've got like one of the poorest regions of the country in Appalachia, but laid over the top of it are all these people from, you know, like Atlanta mm. and, you know, the points south in Florida who come up there, you know, kind of live off of us for the summer and then go back. Yeah. So, you know, it there's a huge variety of re- responses from the locals to people like that. And it depends entirely on the sensibility that the outsider seems to bring. Yeah. So in these movies, when you got the big city girl who is searching and is open to the small town life, she's welcomed. Yeah. Right. And she's won over. But the big city guy who shows up in, you know, his Armani coat <laughs> on his cell phone all the time just wants to, you know, you know, put a Starbucks in where the drugstore used to be and do all this, you know, mm-hmm. he's the guy that they're hostile to. Yeah. Uh, which, well, you know, again, is, is a very idyllic, almost Dickensian version of that conflict, <laughs> but something that does at least have some kind of antecedent in real life. True. Well, I think the idyllic kind of nostalgic nature of it um, is is a big part of the point because to mm. you know to a large extent this is a vanishing reality. Yes. Um, and um, and and so what they're sort of doing, and I think one defense that can be mm, sort of made for it um, is is they're highlighting the fact that our small institutions are vanishing um, and mm-hmm. they're vanishing, you know, um, because of 
you know, huge corporate conglomerates or, yeah. you know, whatever other kinds of forces. Um, and, uh, you know, and it's very nostalgic and it's unrealistic and, you know, you're not going to find so many young and attractive people in a small town that you do in these, in these movies. Um, but, um, but, but yeah, there is a, uh, there is a sensibility there of, um, um, this is something that has value, um, which, you know, in, in, most small towns that I've lived in, um, it's entirely dominated by corporate America, by by fast food chains, you know, and then things like that. It's actually much easier to find, you know, quirky little places um, in the middle of a of a city, right? Um, That's a good point. Yeah. Like small mm-hmm. businesses and things like that that are that are thriving, um, whereas you know in like say Royston or um, or <laughs> Fredericksburg, where I where I um, am currently at, having Christmas. Um, you know, it's just when you drive down the road, it's Dunkin' Donuts and then you know Popeyes and you know whatever else. Um, but uh, but but yeah, sort of recalling those values and saying that they mm-hmm. have worth, uh, I think is not a terrible um, you know thing to do. Yeah, good point. Yeah, I Chris, think Chris is, or uh, I'm sorry, Kim is writing furiously. <laughs> no, not really. I think that's part of the reason why you know people from like my mom's generation prefer it um, or like it mm-hmm. is because they they would prefer to go to the small store even if they don't in behavior. Like I think, um, and myself included. I mean, we live in a small town, and. Um, unfortunately, the best place to shop is Walmart. Um, and mm-hmm. so what do we do? We shop at Walmart because there yeah. aren't really alternatives, right? But if I had quirky little shops, I would go to the quirky little shops. And I try to when I can. But um, but I think that that's part of the nostalgia that I think people enjoy. Um, I also want to point out that the, um, the capitalistic theme that we were talking about that Hallmark is making fun of, how ironic it is that Hallmark turns out... Um, <laughs> <laughs> so many of these I found um, a statistic that they've turned out th- th- 232 over the last 17 years which is an average of 13 but they're picking up pace they did 37 you know this past year and, and in 2017 it was pretty big as well um, and so just how ironic it is that you know you've got this corporation kind of telling you what your values are um, mm-hmm. but yet not you know I mean probably not living up to it right so yeah I mean and how much of the secularization i mean maybe i'm pushing this i'm going from this uh, corporate influence of hallmark into a, like a theological question but how much of the secularization of all of our holidays is hallmark particularly responsible for right um with the the nature of marketing these holidays for the sale of christmas cards and whatnot right and mm-hmm. so um and this is what these films are also doing which is also a strange thing to leave out of a christianity today article about these yeah. is, <laughs> is the uh the extreme i mean i'm going to call this a hallmark christmas spelled with an x um um because I know that that's controversial among evangelicals, even though I know Jordan um, has recently pointed out that that's actually just means Christ, right? And so, um, and, but uh, it it's will still berserk buttons. It, it will still like drive certain evangelicals crazy, which is why I'm going to do it. Um, and so, but the uh, uh, but the idea is that's exactly what these are totally desanctified versions of Christmas, right? These are totally secular mm-hmm. versions. But the same people that love these are the ones that got their panties in a bunch about like Starbucks cups because they didn't have yeah. snowflakes on them. They didn't even want crosses. They wanted like snowflakes or whatever. Um, yeah. So, But everybody here says I'll, Merry Christmas to, to an obnoxious I, I, degree. Yeah. 
I, I do want to. I don't. I don't. I'm not even pushing back here, but just kind of adding a wrinkle to it, I guess. And I, I want to say we talked about this last year with the Christmas songs too. But I mean, um, I might have even used exactly the same example. I now that I'm a dad and a teacher, I repeat myself a lot. <laughs> uh, It'll just get worse. <laughs> let me just tell you, I'm older than yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> so eventually, you'll just record the same podcast with me over yeah. and over. Uh, but um, th- you know, the secularization of the holiday is not a new problem. Because my daughter adores White Christmas, the Bing Crosby movie. And, I mean, you can scour that movie from end to end, and you won't find a trace of any specific religiosity. Oh, anywhere. yeah. Um, I mean, Dickens, too, you know. Yeah. Um, there are a few token references to Christ and the Christmas right. Carol, but it is about, and this is, I, I view these movies very much as the descendants of a Christmas Carol, right? Uh, many, many children of, of the Christmas Carol, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but, but yeah, I mean, Dickens has a few places where he men- mentions Christ mm-hmm. and the Christmas Carol, but it's a secularized version of Christmas through and through. Um, mm-hmm. It's, uh, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting to, to look at that dimension. Yeah, which, you know, I'm not averse to. I mean, I'm, I think that there right. are two Christmases. There's secular Christmas and, and sacred mm-hmm. Christmas, and I don't think we should get rid of either one of them, right? Um, no. But I, I think we should acknowledge um, that for many people, particularly the evangelicals who want it to be Christmas every day, as, as Mayfield says in here, I mean, this does overwhelm their imagination of Christmas. Uh, and right. I think it squeezes out the sacred version of it. And, and incidentally, yeah. on that note, I just got an email while we are recording that thing I wrote apparently just got published, so I will put that in the show notes. All right. Too. So, um, nice. um so it just apparently just went up. So, um, yeah, you get to read about Tom Waits's hooker, and so, um, um, <laughs> and so, um, anyway, so I guess uh, Kim, do you have anything else to add? You were writing stuff. Uh, uh, um, I mean, I said the things that I wrote down, but it just, um, you know, kind of the aesthetic of the movies. Well, we're talking about Christmas and sec- secularization. Mm-hmm. Um, the one we were watching last night, which I think was called Reunited at Christmas, which I do not recommend you watch. Um, <laughs> Um, like even for the interest of critiquing it, it it's like watching a, a magazine model smile for two hours <laughs> and I mean, laugh. She giggled yeah. a lot. <laughs> it's like that's um, all that happens. Yeah. yeah, but anyway, the they they you know they went to the big town, big city girl went to the country, blah blah blah. She ended up staying with her fiance. Basically, the the you know plot summary was that she you know wasn't sure he he proposed to her and she wasn't sure if she should marry him and then she decided to um that was the whole plot of the movie (laughs) two hours but nonetheless what struck me about the movie was they spent two hours decorating this little house in the country and it was like who has the storage space for all of these decorations and how much how much i mean they were like brand new decorations too how much must they have spent over over years to um, you know, come up with all these decorations. They were, I mean, beautiful decorations, but I just, we don't have the storage space for that much Christmas stuff. And, but it kind of like Dan was saying, I think it gives you the impression that this is what Christmas is about and having a beautiful house. And mm. I mean, they multiple Christmas trees and I mean, just everything everywhere, um, front, you know, inside, outside, backyard, um, everywhere, the basement, like they went down to the basement and there was, um, like tinsel on the stairs. It's like, really Lord. who decorates their basement? So. Yeah, and not only is everything brand new, you're supposed to take it that it is tra- it's been handed down for generations, mm-hmm. and so it's mm-hmm. it's both things, right? Yeah, so, they yeah. just take really well, good care of it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I also I mean, thought the time, sorry, the time in this movie, like you were never really sure, like a grandma had died, and you knew it was this year, but like how recent was it? And I mean, there were multiple things in the movie that I was like, well, how 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 many days has it been? How recently did this happen? And things like that. But yeah. I thought that was interesting. Uh, well, I think that that kind of. Uh, 
that kind of brings up the question of liturgy to me, oh. um, and and especially if you've if you've read James K. Smith's "You Are What You Love," um, yes. his, talking about secular liturgies, um, mm-hmm. the fact that Christmas is even for evangelicals, you know, who 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 largely have dispensed with liturgy, and and you know, most low churches anyway, um, um, or or what we call liturgy anyway. Um, um, it's a liturgical time of year. It, you know, the the Puritans kind of purged Christmas for a while, um, and and uh, then it came back in fashion in a big way in the 19th century. And 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 there's this sense with Christmas of returning and returning to these familiar patterns, whether it's sort of you know the medieval English past um, or. Um, you know, these values that we can kind of lean on and rely on, um, or, you know, this is the time of year when people who are not even Catholics like me will want to go to midnight mass, um, because there's just something old and something, um, that seems to have endured, um, Mm -hmm. you know, because repetition in liturgy sort of speaks of the eternal within time. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so in some ways, um, the very cookie cutter plots of these of these films, I think, in a lot of ways, are the point because they're reinforcing, um, you know, this is this is who we are, this is what we believe, um, and and kind of telling back to people these sorts of uh, um, secular sacred values, right? Mm-hmm. Um, um, so so that um, they are sort of getting this familiarity again, um, and, and in many ways, that's what Christmas has been. That's that's the work that Christmas has done, I think, in, in our culture, and and it only makes sense to me that the plots would also, um, you know, be such that if you fall asleep for forty five minutes and wake <laughs> up during another movie, you basically are getting the same plot and even a very similar title to the movie you fell asleep. And probably for. the same actresses. Mm. Yeah, yes. very often, right? Yeah. yeah, somebody who played like the main characters, like ten year old. <laughs> love interest in a sitcom in the 80s mm-hmm. yes yeah there was a, this red-haired girl and i can't alicia something uh wit wit i think wit, yeah um yeah she was like in the sopranos for a short time and yeah and then that was it and now she's in hallmark movies or or, or family channel movies whatever version over there right and so yeah um yeah so um i guess you have more to add um on this t- subject i, I want to get to some redeeming features. I mean, Chris has already given us one way in which this is actually, it, I think, uh, what was her name? Mayfield is right in that it does signify a desire for good things, right? Now, whether mm-hmm. this is the best way to achieve those desires, I would disagree with her. But um, I think she's right about that. And Chris has pointed out a way in which this does kind of represent um, something about feeling regretting the way our economy is developing on some level. Right. Um, before we get to other kind of positives about this, is there anything else to add? Um, well, we want, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Jordan. That's okay. Uh, did, did we want to talk about like the aesthetics of them as movies? Cause oh, that, yeah, we could do that. I mean, they're super cheap, but they're, they're interesting <laughs> in a couple of ways. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, well, um, I'll plug another podcast that I've been listening to called deck the hallmark, um, which is, <laughs> Which is actually run by three guys here in Greenville where I live. Um, one of whom I actually have like a couple of connections with like the kind of degrees of Kevin Bacon sort of thing. Like he was a sub at my wife's school for a while or something. Uh, but it, it's entertaining. Um, it, it is. It has exactly the same flaw that the Hallmark movies have, which is you listen to all these episodes and then forget 
all of them. Right. <laughs> um, but they had a really interesting interview early on in which they interviewed um, one of the editors. And film editors don't get a lot of love. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they, they, they have really, really hard jobs and they're often presented with just complete messes that they have to make some kind of coherent sense out of. And this guy was really interesting to listen to because he talked a little bit about some of the behind the scenes stuff with the actual filmmaking and especially what Hallmark corporately wants from the movies. Um, they're, they're even hesitant stylistically about things like slow motion. Um, this editor had worked on, yeah, and, and it's all digital nonlinear editing now and the films are all shot digitally which was one of the reasons they look so cheap mm. but um it, there was one movie he said he worked on in which there were actually a few slow motion montage sequences that the producers you know one of their notes was that those need to be sped up to real time we don't do slow motion um but they're all shot very traditionally and unobtrusively i don't think you'll ever see handheld in yeah. it you know they have you know tracking shots and steady cam and that's about all the movement you'll get otherwise it's very the, the uncharitable way to put it would be unimaginatively, but uh, very traditionally composed and shot so that the style does not get in the way of whatever it is that the film is trying to deliver to you. They don't want Stanley um, Kubrick involved in any of these. No. Right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's so I mean, it's it's interesting because just at first glance, it's, you know, again, you could put it uncharitably that it's unimaginative. But I think on reflection and having watched a few of these since hearing that interview, what they're doing is a very deliberate non-style, uh, almost like one of my fiction discoveries this year was Elmore Leonard, who became very famous for having like his style was that he didn't have a discernible style, right? So he, you know, if you read his books, it's almost like he's telegraphing the story directly into your head because he doesn't have any stylistic ticks to get in the way, and I think it's very deliberate on Hallmark's part, and it even goes down to you know the tone of the film over which they have very very tight control i've alluded to that already where um my wife and i watched a lifetime one and the tone was just like all over the place Mm -hmm. like they wanted they wanted to go with like the slightly hapless a little bit more you know kind of real and authentic you know girl who's insecure about how awkward she is but they went like too far and so she was you know was like why would anybody hang out with this goofball (laughs) um so i mean and, and we could you know talk about that as kind of a defense of hallmark is that it's not high art but it's consistent art. Again, they they know what they're doing. It's it's the films are not stylistically dull because they don't know how to do better things. They are making a conscious decision to do it that way for story purposes, which is again not high art, but it is art. The corollary. Um, I'm been me and Michael Farmer have been showing up every now and then on uh, City of Man to do a series on country music. I mean yeah. Nashville as a producer town. So I mean. Yeah. A lot of crap comes out of that, but there's a <laughs> there's a consistent style that is really predictable and really marketable. And so the Hallmark yep. movies kind of correlate to that approach where it's not they don't they have a, a staple of songwriters and producers. The artists are sort of interchangeable. Right. And so mm-hmm. they're consistent and um, easily digestible in that way. So, right. yeah, um, this is not without precedent in other other forms. Oh, no. Yeah. And I think I heard an interview where they. I'm, it sounds like I think about these movies way more than I actually do. Uh, I, just because I listen to this relatively entertaining podcast, I'm starting to get a little burned out on, honestly. But uh, they interviewed one of their actors as well in the movie he, that he was in last year. I mean, they they had something in their schedule fall through, and so they like wrote, prepped, shot, 
edited this film in I think 20 days. Yeah. <laughs> from like conceiving the idea to getting the thing on the Hallmark channel. Yeah. Which you can't do without a very well oiled machine. Yeah. Um, so, you know, maybe another corollary as far as film goes is, you know, the studio machine in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. Yeah. Right. Because, you know, a lot of those movies have kind of fallen away. Yeah. But, you know, you dig into some of those that aren't as well known anymore and they're going to be. They're all going to look like Casablanca. Yeah. Even if they aren't as good as Casablanca. I don't know. Does any of that make any kind of sense? No, for sure. Yeah. There's there's an industry there that employs craftsmen, right? I mean, these yes. people are good at their jobs. And, and so, yeah. I mean, I think that is, I mean, for me, that's a that's a, a positive for Hallmark. I mean, yeah. they, they keep um, these technical and, and these these kind of people employed very reliably. And, uh, and they're they're allowed to do their jobs really competently. And I think that yeah. that's, that's actually a good thing. Um, uh, Chris? I think, though, I've seen plenty of these types of movies, and I'm not sure which ones aired on Hallmark and which ones uh, right. didn't, um, that are incredibly uneven and choppy. And that's, for me, that's that's a big part of the, of the fun um, mm-hmm. and, 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 and a reason to kind of like them. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because, <laughs> because sometimes they don't know what to do in the second act of the right. of, of the movie you know and, and just if they would just spend, spend more time. on writing <laughs> the writing right, is where they right. fall through right. Um, right. But, but i think you know it's 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 such a market um especially now but i guess it was five years ago i think when more of the uneven ones were coming out um now they seem to have do have it down to a precise science a little bit mm-hmm. more um but um at Christmas, people are used to lowering their standards and lazily consuming things, right? Uh, so, so you can get away with making pretty bad movies and still getting good payoff um, from it. Not, not that they're aiming for that or anything like that, but but a, a few pretty uneven, poorly written or poorly acted ones do slip in there, you know. Um, and and although I'd say generally they are poorly from a certain standard you know acted and 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 written but um um there are some that are like have noticeable cracks in the veneer right um that 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 do get in there and and that i think are really fun to to watch um but uh um yeah i mean when when you have such a market that's so ready to consume crap um <laughs> sure I'll, I'll make something for a little less than you know than was budgeted mm-hmm. it, it, it's like mcdonald's french fries aren't even right. made of real potatoes it's like a, a they involve a li- potatoes but they're not yeah but it's it's liquid a liquid they shoot into jets right and so they're they're predictable and you know their consistency is always the same but mm-hmm. it's not like having good french fries right um but right. you know what you're and getting again, and so, yeah when i'm when i'm praising the technical proficiency of their crews that's exactly specifically what i'm praising yeah uh again we are comparing different brands of nuggets or fries uh <laughs> when we're talking about this yeah uh, and I will say, talking about some of the cracks in the stories, I, I think the writing is often the weakest, mm-hmm. the weakest component, because mm-hmm. um, it is so formulaic. It's like those, you know, you go to Walmart and look at the romance rack, the romance book rack. They those books are numbered. Yeah. You know, you can subscribe to them like a magazine. Yeah. Um, anything produced that quickly is going to be super formulaic and pretty cheap and often be laughable yeah uh, so if they would you know just like invest a little bit more in the writing of their films they could Im- improve them but 
I don't know if that's well, going to happen. Some of these movies do at the beginning say based on the Harlequin novel. Oh, yes. You know, yeah. XYZ, right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, the Christmas so, train was a step up because it was da- based on a David Baldacci book <laughs> of all people. Right. Yeah. And in fact, the movie we watched last night that reunited at Christmas or re- reunion, at, I forget what it was called, but um, the, the main character is a writer who's involved in this very industry. She's been commissioned mm. to write next year's big Christmas release. And so go have a great Christmas this year to inspire you. And I don't and know what how, is she doing writing a book about her experience of, yeah. oh, should I marry him? I don't know. Yes. Okay, I will. All right, good. Yeah. Everybody's happy. Yeah. <laughs> Which um, brings up a point I want to make from the NPR article where um, it, it talks about how like one or the other person having a job or hobby related to food is disproportionately likely. Um, you know, that's kind of a side point that I think is interesting. Um, whatever your dream may be, the movie will end by giving you the opportunity to p- pursue it, even if it means that you have to merge with your fr- your French restaurant with your boyfriend's burger place. Um, and it's like, <laughs> that one's called A Taste of Romance. Um, Terry Polo is in it. Um, I just think it's funny. I think that's a good point, even that it's hilariously made, that mm-hmm. um, everything always ends up, ends up well, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the girl gets the guy, the, the town saves the small business, the, um, you know, the chef gets to keep, you know, and uh, in, in that we watched this one called like, Gingerbread Man last night. Yeah, yeah. Um, the guy got to house. keep a yeah. yeah. Yeah, I forget what it's called. A gingerbread yeah. Christmas, maybe I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. guy a gingerbread got, romance. Okay, that's yeah. The guy got to <laughs> keep his. Too. The guy got to keep his business or, or expand his business, and you know, right? By and merging it with an existing business. It's, yes. it's so funny. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. But they did have African Americans in this one. So. And that was mm-hmm. that was something actually I wanted to bring up was that. Um, they, you know, we we've talked about how they have like a type, and they tend to use the same actors and actresses and things like that. And they're always, you know, very pretty and perfect and things like that. But they've always been very white. 2018 was the first year, and I didn't even think about this until we watched this gingerbread romance. That um, there had never been um, leads that were African American before, um, and. Um, and, and I think there were four or five this year of the 37 that were um, storylines that involved that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I thought that was interesting. And But in 2017, they had an article where they um, – it was called Why Are Hallmark Movie Cast So White? We asked the CEO. And um, it says when TV viewers turn to one of the Hallmark networks, they know what they're going – they know what they're going to get. Family-friendly, fun, sweet, and positive films. It's also safe to assume what the romantic leads of these movies will look like, white. And then at the end, they ask the CEO, you know, why they don't have more minorities in their films. And, um, you know, and he basically says, well, you know, we're, you know, if you look at the industry, we're not necessarily behind, but you'll, you'll see us moving forward. Um, <laughs> I can get the direct quote because I'm not doing him justice, but I thought it was... Um, Compared to the worst people, okay, we're yeah, not too bad. Yeah, yeah, I feel like this is an industry-wide problem. Others have made a little more progress than we have made, granted, but at the same time, certainly we as a brand, as an organization, we have a great track record of doing the right thing, and I think you will see a significant change over the years as we continue to evolve our content. And, you know, in 2018, they made some progress with that. But, um, so, you know, this is both a criticism and, you know, yay for them for at least starting down that road so yeah but and but in this and you brought this up last night kim the the small town that saves the 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 business the business-minded woman is philadelphia all of a sudden right um although it is a philadelphia that looks exactly like you know aspen or whatever there well yeah which is interesting a lot of i found um 
in an article called Seven Tropes about Hallmark movies, which only had five, which I thought, you know, <laughs> <laughs> poorly written. But um, it, it's two of the first two where they stick to what works, actors and plot lines. You know, I think we've covered that. And then the second was locations. And many of them are actually filmed around Vancouver uh, and mm-hmm. um, even ones that take place in small towns but the gingerbread romance was filmed in the vancouver area and not in philly and that was obvious watching it you if you know anything about philly you've been there i've been there like twice i can tell that this is not philadelphia um (laughs) but if you're gonna have black people it has to be in philadelphia right yeah that's what it seemed like but it made me feel better that they had four other plot lines some of which take place in small town all of which include the theme something about the real meaning of christmas so yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and but and vancouver incidentally is like a major production town i mean i think the oh, x-files yeah. was public or it was produced there it's like a it's a hollywood type uh industries town itself um so yeah there's a video essay somewhere on youtube i think it's called vancouver never plays itself yeah <laughs> and it's just like a compilation of vancouver standing in for other cities <laughs> that's funny um yeah that is that's very interesting because when i took my kid uh, to, they filmed the climactic battle scene of the avengers in cleveland actually the new york battle scene and uh and so my daughter was really little then but um i we went downtown to see devastated new york because cleveland's a town you can actually shut down the main street downtown and it's not really going to disrupt things all that much <laughs> but uh, um but uh, it was a pain speaking to somebody who worked down there at the time <laughs> but you, you couldn't do it in new york is what i'm saying True. um and so they had little nypd cars so yeah uh, cleveland is the same way it gets kind of repurposed in a lot of ways too um um so i do want to spend a little bit of time doing a little fun game and, and chris you uh said that you have this sort of little game so when i'm watching these movies like the one last night because literally nothing dramatic is happening like i'm like oh she discovers the grandmother's not dead or you know i just sort of come up with plot <laughs> twists that i wish were there his yeah. father's sin well yes. that actually does she gets in the car and it blows yeah. up and... grandmom's a zombie or i don't know something <laughs> um um something to happen but so you have a different sort of game that you guys play and where you sort of invent a, a an ideal plot a platonic uh hallmark plot right right um so um, yeah, after watching these enough and sort of enjoying them, ironically, my wife and I came up with a, um, with a game where basically we take a bunch of note cards, um, put them in different stacks. So there's a stack for the antagonist, and then we put, you know, different names of people like Joy, Eve, Holly, Noel, Mary, right, as the, uh, as the protagonists, and, and put like a little description, you know, is a lawyer or a, um, a marketing executive or, you know, something else from the big city or, you know, um, or, or some other uh, description. Um, and then, and then basically, you know, okay, what, what we, we have a, stack of cards for the basic plot in a nutshell, right? A stack of cards for the antagonist, the romantic interest, um, and then the theme or gimmick, right? Uh, jingle bells or reindeer or holly or Christmas carols or the Christmas carol or, or something <laughs> else. And we just kind of pick a random card from each stack and uh, and I, then put I together a movie and we can one. edit this out later, but I think you could probably market that idea. Um, <laughs> come up with the cards. That, I think like, yeah. Are, are there as are there through Hallmark? Who are, yeah, yeah. Uh, are I there, think there, there totally are. I think there are pe- <laughs> enough people that would make fun of this that I think you could probably sell 
So I think I think there's a market for it. You yeah, this is not a bad idea, like a Christmas themed board game sort of thing that you could uh, party game or something. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty fun to play. Uh, <laughs> oh my gosh, you're giving away gold here, Pepkin. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> some so some roll- big city big shots gonna come and steal your little idea. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> His name is Vance or something. I don't know. <laughs> Well, you know he's a jerk because he drives a German car. Yes, that's true. They always show up in like a Porsche or a BMW. Well, that's okay because when my life is in tatters because of this, I can return to the small town where I was raised and you know, uh, find out. The and the girl of. that you knew in high school is still there. Yeah, so I have a feeling uh, you know, my wife won't be crazy about that aspect. <laughs> that, is, that is something, though. None of these people are ever married at the beginning of the yeah. Yeah. Also, no children, except yes. for like occasionally the romantic interest will have a, a kid from like, you know, a, a yeah. deceased spouse or something yeah, like which that. Complicates a kid, a the kid theme, old like enough to be out they... of diapers. Cause that's yeah. Not right. <laughs> yeah. That always complicates the theme, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I love the thing about the names uh, because the names yes. are real. I mean, it, it does feel like almost like bot generated, you know, plots. You know, there's a I, I want to plug it again. There's a great Twitter feed called Worship Bot 3000, which uh, comes up with uh, evangelical worship song titles out of nowhere that are hilarious. And I feel like this is a uh, another version of that with these names. Oh, oh yeah. There was y'all seen. Oh, go ahead. I saw yesterday one of one of our friends who knew we liked to do this ridiculous thing um, sent us uh, uh, someone's Twitter um, that that basically was a the first page of a bot generated Christmas script which was hilarious <laughs> uh, and I'll I'll try to find a link to it or, or something yeah. like that yeah if you uh, can it, I'll put it on cool. the show uh, yeah if you go to the show notes at sectarianreviewpodcast.com I've written down all these stuff including the the podcast deck the hallmark uh, and and to the articles that you guys are referencing I'm trying to uh, it's okay I'm trying to yeah we hit the mic here it's okay um, I'm trying to uh, keep a little a list of stuff for you to read but yeah Kim. Nothing. Oh, I thought you were going to say something. Sorry. Oh, um, yeah. So the um, the the there's a formula to these things, right? And you're totally right. There's always some really nice guy. I'm I'm now say always like one of the standard ones is there's some really nice guy who for some reason is still single, even though everyone in town adores him and he's super handsome. He does some sort of handyman kind of job. Like he's everybody's uh, uh, electrician or something that saves the day. And he brings cookies to the old lady uh, who's, who's a shut in or something along these lines. And um, the big city girl uh, is coming in um, assigned to this town to do some sort of cruel thing to it, falls in love with the guy and therefore falls in love with the town. And then the big city, uh, conflict comes in it's choose us or them and somehow she finds a way that the the small town can withstand the financial like whatever uh, uh, colonialization of, of the of the big city uh, corporation right and yeah the names are hilarious because they mm-hmm. uh, yeah they there was one literally there was one called Noel it was with the girl from Full House when I was watching it it came on oh, yeah. Um, yeah, she's in a bunch shoes. of them. Mm-hmm. Some, she's a shoe addict or something. I forget what it is. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> also, Haley Duff is in a lot of them. Oh, oh okay. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The sister. Uh, there's at least two, in which they. Oh, there, there's one where the title is "It's Christmas, comma Eve," like they're addressing <laughs> someone named Eve. Oh there's yeah. I think we the, saw that one. Yeah. I think that might be the one that has uh, Carrie Fisher in it. Oh dear. Um, oh dear. Yeah. 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 Oh dear. Yeah. 
Um, <laughs> That's sad. <laughs> yes. So, uh, but there's there's another one they've pirated their own title, and that, that there's another one that's like it's Christmas Holly or 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 something, some <laughs> other thing that also works as a name and is a pun on like it's Christmassy. It, it's just <laughs> they're like stealing from themselves at the same time. See, I've for I think I, a few years ago I put this out there, and I haven't seen it made yet. It, maybe it is made. I think they should make a song called or a movie called Merry Christmas, M A R Y. Um, and so Mary is sort of like some sort of uh, descendant of the real Santa Claus or something, and and she not of um, Jesus, of Santa. yeah, not of Jesus, right? Um, and, and somehow she discovers this in the course of her corporate duties, and and saves a small town that, um, and and then you know brings back the true spirit of secular you could, Christmas. It could be a cross between one of these movies and the Da Vinci Code, where she's got to, you know, uncover the original Hallmark card from an archive somewhere. by you know the catholic church which wants christmas to be about jesus oh boy (laughs) oh man see now this is a movie that's getting a little too controversial (laughs) well that's what these things all all do have to avoid controversy at any any turn right and so yeah um but yeah that would actually be interesting (laughs) so yeah that's that's really close to um i mean as far that's that's really close to this uh jenny mccarthy movie uh oh shoot it's it's on the tip of my tongue she she did one basically where she's santa's daughter okay she she was just done with the north pole and wanted to leave (laughs) that small town life and go to the big city um and uh it's called uh santa baby Oh, um, okay. and, then, and then the sequel is Santa Baby Two: colon, Christmas Maybe. Um, but uh, but yeah, she she goes back with her assistants, you know, from her high powered job, and and you know goes back to the North Pole, and her assistant is amazed to discover that she's actually Santa's daughter, um, and uh, she has to pull things together and get the elves to all work together and you know save Christmas this year because Santa threw his back out or something. That's hilarious. Um, so, uh, so yeah, but but as far as the names being like so repetitive and forgettable, yeah, we we uh, played a um, uh, this this game that we invented one night, and we came up with a title for it, um, naughty and nice, and then turned on you know the one of the Hallmark or, or something else, and there was a movie called Naughty or Nice, right? <laughs> uh, uh, starring Billy Duff. Um, so, 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 yeah, like these these names are so interchangeable. Um, mm-hmm. Which which part of gets back to the comfort and familiarity thing? I yeah. Think. It makes you wonder if they're written in sort of Mad Lib style. If they just yeah. literally do have like these templates that they just pull plot points and uh, and names out of uh, because yeah there's always some sort of town contest to decorate yes. something yep. or some town <laughs> yeah. event like the the yeah. reunion at christmas there was like a, a christmas dinner that the whole town came to like mm-hmm. yes yeah. you were not it's always super underwhelming or... looking yeah. or a <laughs> variation of that is a contest at the mall Ah. Uh, because that's that's a um, that's that's another kind of subgenre of of these uh, of these Christmas stories. You've got the whole like sort of typical you know high powered um, you know corporate person comes back to a small town, learns about small time town values, reunites with old flame, etc. Um, but then you also have um, a uh, a a type of movie where the mall is kind of the most important 
place in the world mm-hmm. and if That's you sad. can somehow prove your worth at the mall uh, <laughs> so this is these are films like uh, desperately seeking santa where uh, <laughs> uh, where an executive tries to i think there's uh, also a porn with that name <laughs> oh i'm sure uh, yeah basically and and tries to find a sexy santa um, to you know, boost sales at the mall. That's that's failing. And then there's also uh, the um, the Mistletones, um, which also stars Tia Maori, where she has to win a singing competition at the mall. So yeah, the mall is is really central. And then the third kind of variation is um, Santa's not dead. Um, I call it basically where there's some sort of magic involving Santa. Um, or, or other kind of Christmas Santa does turn out to be real in an. Un- astonishing number of these movies oh is that right okay because that's one thing the recently the ones i've seen have all been just like pure romance and so there's no sort mm-hmm. of supernatural element to them um but i do remember there have been some that are more like miracle on 34th street style i guess in that way right and so um yeah i haven't seen any of these santa yeah. is real ones but yeah so except nobody is ever as shocked as they should be <laughs> By no, the revelation. True. No. So like, oh yeah, Santa's real. Yeah. Oh, okay. two, two of my favorites um, are along these lines. Um, um, a Country Christmas, uh, in which belief in Santa is basically an allegory for belief in God. Ah. And there's a blue state senator who is banning the belief in Santa Claus. They don't say exactly how this works, um, but they can no longer talk about Santa Claus in school. And so... Wow. A Santa Claus who talks a lot like a pirate um, ends up sort of crash landing in these people's um, uh, barn in Arizona, and um, and his powers are fading because nobody believes in him anymore. Um, and so this little girl, you know, challenges uh, this blue state senator who's considering a presidential run to a debate to establish the reality of Santa Claus. And then it all t- takes a really bizarre turn when the girl's mother gets cancer and there are these like gut-wrenching moments of like oh, them no. crying as a family about her mother having cancer and oh Santa if you if you love us and have these powers why can't you do anything? And uh, you know you just have to watch the movie to find out how that ends. San- <laughs> Santa's not dead. Strange. And 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 oh, the wow. senator ends up run over <laughs> <laughs> the senator ends up run over by a car at the end and saves save Santa. Santa. The senator was burned as a child because Santa left him coal. But what he realizes at the end is that if Santa squishes the coal hard enough, it turns into a diamond. And so really Santa <laughs> gave him a diamond. And so his heart has changed like the Grinch. And, yeah. Of course. Yeah. That has to be produced by some Christian. That has to be like one of those, uh, what's that? Oh, that David A. R. White guy. Uh, uh, what's the, his uh, company? Pure Flix. That has to be sort of a Pure Flix production. I mean, it sounds just like one of those movies. I, I'm not sure if it's Lifetime <laughs> or Hallmark or what. What's um, it called? But yeah, it's, called you know? it's called A Country Christmas. Oh, of course. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, interchangeable with like seven other titles, right? Um, but oh man, it's great. The the thing about it being like Christian though is it's. The allegory is, is if, if you follow the allegory all the way, if you don't believe in Santa Claus, Santa Claus disappears. Like yeah. he literally does like this Back to the Future sort of <laughs> thing where he's, he's like fading before your eyes, right? Oh, uh, so that kind of implies that God disappears if 
people stop believing in him, which is problematic if that, you're making an allegory yeah. for Christianity. That's a uh, yeah, that's a rough one to pull off there. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, not to be confused with Christmas in the country, which is probably another one, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure it is. Yes. Oh, yeah. No, I'm I'm fairly sure there's a Christmas in the Rockies, Christmas in the Smokies. Yes. Get into specific mountain ranges. But I would think the country is probably pretty popular. Yeah, there is definitely a town and country uh, element to all these things. Um, yeah, that's so fascinating to me. Um, and and so one thing that stands out to me that one at least sounds that was on CMT. Oh, CMT. Okay. So that uh, would be that would explain it. That's uh, formerly you can watch I had it. Trace Adkins. When it. is yeah. this airing? You can watch it on set on Saturday at noon or on Christmas Eve at nine a.m. Oh well, there you go. And this will you be out in plenty watch, of time. If you have Amazon that. Prime, you can watch it anytime. Oh, I, was, it? I was so excited to see it come back online. <laughs> uh, uh, well, uh, oh man! Well, one thing that stands out to me though is that also vaguely resembles the the plot to elf kind of i mean there's there's an element to that in elf right where the belief in santa is powers his sleigh in that one right and so and like so why is it that i i actually think elf is great right and, and i and, and lots of these movies that i ritualistically watch that are secular christmas movies every year that one and you know the big ones that everybody watches home alone and all that stuff um like why is it that those are better in my mind and i feel like they require your attention in ways that these don't like like we said before you could literally fall asleep in these as i did last night and get everything that's happened you're not going to miss anything artistically important or thematically important and so i feel like that alone is a problem like that is a moral problem for these movies right if if they don't even have to exist really for you to enjoy them and so um i i yeah that's sort of something that comes to me whereas other movies you have to sit through and go through the twists and turns even if it's not great it's still like uh, competently told told like that and it requires something of you this is utterly consumable and, and just forgettable art right and so it's just maybe it is for me maybe I'll just uh, an attempt to try and be generous it's the equivalent of just having Christmas songs on the radio in the background um, while you're around the house with people and it's just a visual version of that and so maybe that's their benefit honestly <laughs> so um. I think one artistic difference one movie that we tend to love and watch every year but that I think without a few changes would make a great Hallmark movie is while you were sleeping yes you think about the plot of this woman mm -hmm. sees a man falls in love with him because he's handsome saves him from a train visits him in the hospital <laughs> and then falls in love with his brother right like duh this is such a terrible plot line really i mean it's really not a good plot um it's but very made for tv plot yeah but what's different about it is that you've got the charming family you've got the like um friends you've got the um the performers like the actors are much more interesting mm -hmm. for right? sure but you've got it it, you've got like these other storylines that kind of make that that I think save the movie and make it interesting and I think that the like I mean again the one that we watched last night uh, reunited a Christmas or whatever the heck it was called um, <laughs> I got in trouble yesterday I said a bad word yeah I have um, to go edit my show because of my wife <laughs> yes, um, whatever the heck it was called um, it was like five minutes of plot you know that took two hours and they, they didn't do anything interesting with any of the other 
characters. There was, she had a sister who, I mean, ten, you know, generally brothers and sisters and sisters and sisters tend to look alike. These two were almost indistinguishable. Like Dan said, I hope there aren't scenes yes. without. Um, we, there was, and I was like, wait, is that is that Annie or is that Sam? I don't know. Like, who is he talking to? Um, so, so they were almost indistinguishable. But, but the sister and her husband had very few lines. There was you knew nothing about them. Like we talked about before, they were of the age where it seemed like they'd been married long enough. You would think not everybody has to have kids. I'm, I don't mean that, but like nobody in these movies have kids, right? And um, so you would think like they look like the kind of people that would have kids though. And there's no mention of like, did they just come to this Christmas without their kids at home? And you know what I mean? There's no storyline other than, you know, girl can't decide if she wants to marry her fiance. And there's a couple of scenes in a store where she gets eggnog. I mean, it's like, you know what I mean? <laughs> Traditional town egg- oh. eggnog. Yeah. Yes. yeah. And there's a <laughs> grandmother who's died that adds a little bit of like, they don't do a good job of adding any kind of twist to the story. And yeah. So well, I think you hit on something there that really sets these apart, which is the attention given to the characters. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. thinking of Elf, it's, it's been forever since I've watched Elf, so so correct me if I say anything wrong. But the the one romantic comedy I like really genuinely 100% enjoy is uh, You've Got Mail. Okay. And that's actually got a lot of the – kind of like what you were saying. That's got that like corporate element too where it's like the little store versus the big box store. Uh-huh. And the jerky rich city guy who's disconnected from people and the the girl who's like living in like this kind of like really traditional, sincere, close-knit community. That's like – that sounds on paper like a Hallmark movie, but there's so much more to it. And I think maybe one of the roots of that is – well, so first of all, the characters in – in Elf especially, they feel like cartoons, but they yeah. feel like real people. Yeah, yeah. Like you, you know people – to a greater or lesser extent, like Buddy. Yeah. You know, people like, you know, what's the name of the the elf played by Ralphie from A Christmas Story? Oh, I forget his kind name. Of like, yeah. he, he's in it briefly, but, he, he, you know, he's only got a couple of scenes, but he feels like this real person who's kind of put upon and, you know, does his job loyally, but is not, like, super into it. Um, but in You've Got Mail, Meg Ryan loses. Mm-hmm. You know, she has to close her store. And you don't get anything that directly painful in a Hallmark movie. Yeah. Uh, that's always kind of elided and left out. Uh, in an elf, you know, the backstory with Buddy and his mom and James Caan. Yeah. And there's like real, real pathos there. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and the performers bring that out, you know. So they're not just avatars with exchangeable names. I mean, they've got real personal histories and they've, they've been through real harm and real pain, which, again, you just don't get in the Hallmark films. I think... And I think that, you know, if Aristotle – not to get too pretentious. If Aristotle is right and part of the, pro, the the point of drama is to purge yeah. yourself, right, the catharsis, then you're not going to get that with Hallmark because it's not going to really investigate the pain that people live through. It is it is mostly about, again, that Christmas everyday feeling while ignoring with, the agony of Christmas. A world without a takes, fall. Yeah. It also yeah. takes yeah. really, really good writing to explore those things. Yes. Um, and And – you know, in 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 the '90s, people were still going out to the theater and spending eight bucks or however much it was, you know, to watch romantic comedies. People mm-hmm. don't really do that as much anymore. Um, there aren't as many romantic comedies out in theaters, um, and so Hallmark movies are essentially many of them, anyway, essentially romantic comedies. They're just romantic comedies that can't attract 
top writers to them, yeah. you know, um, who, who can explore these things. And, and, and when they do try to explore something deep, like, like what I just mentioned, the, um, a country Christmas where the mom is dying of cancer and Santa has to heal her by giving up right. his Santa powers, spoiler, um, uh, they do it really unevenly so that it's actually kind of hilarious rather than, you know, necessarily like, uh, redemptive, um, yeah. or, uh, cathartic or whatever. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And let, the farmers made fun of me for loving while you were sleeping. Um, and, and I've for years wondered, like, what is it that separates this from a Hallmark movie? Because plot wise, the plot is generated in such a way it's it's kind of like that. Um, but I, I do think it is the quality of the actors. Um, and the um, there is some thought into some of the monologue, the, the speeches that, that are there that give this uh to give it this pathos, right? And so, yeah, I, I stand by my my deep historic love of that movie. Um, and so, um, yeah, and, and these movies, like I said, um, I don't, I I guess I did spend the whole time trashing them, but um, I the the point isn't to keep people from watching them. It's to kind of understand what their true purpose is, sort of, you know, and and, and to not let it overwhelm. Uh, not let it become the thing that it's not really right and so I think that that's sort of my kind of intention with this this has been a lot of fun for me do you guys have anything to uh, that you want to talk about before we close up anybody um, uh, I'll just reiterate the last paragraph of that NPR article like I, I think the the writer I've, I've closed my window at this point but kind of is again to go back to the chicken McNuggets thing enjoy them for what they are don't make them your whole diet yes you know they're going to be bad for you in excess and you really should not accept them as a substitute for real chicken <laughs> um, so you know whatever for whatever reason you watch these I watch them because my wife enjoys them somewhat shamefacedly but it's something for me to do with my wife yeah right so I mean it's you know, what, you know, whether you're watching them ironically to kind of riff them mystery science theater style, or if you're watching them sincere, sincerely, let that be an opportunity to kind of gather real people around you. Yeah. yeah. Um, cause if you're watching these alone, weeping into a bucket of popcorn, Ooh. that's, <laughs> that's like drinking uh, alone, right? That's not, uh, yes. that's not healthy. Right. And yeah. Yeah. And if you work at an yeah. annual, it's not allowed. Right. So. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> so. But yeah, enjoy, enjoy them for what they are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just want to add, I think that, um, Chris's point that he made earlier about James K.A. Smith and, and like liturgies, I think watching them and not thinking about them, any media that we consume, I think is uh, is problematic, right? And I think this is something you hear a lot of people talk about and a lot of people love, but they don't stop and not to overanalyze or dissect it too much, but stop and go, well, does this really have anything to do with Christmas um, mm -hmm. as it's meant to be? I mean, even as it was meant to be without Jesus, um, I right. think we've gotten very far from the true meaning of Christmas. And, and so to, to follow that up with, how is this making me conceive of, of Christmas, right? Like, mm -hmm. how is this influencing the way I think right. of Christmas? Right. Um, and I think that's the, the liturgical question I was going to bring up at the very same yeah. point. It looks like Chris yeah, Chris. Um, oh, go ahead. Yeah, really quick. I, I think I think Christmas um, is kind of a, a bit of a spiritual slash cultural snowball that rolls down the hill from Bethlehem and gathers stuff as it rolls, <laughs> right? And this could well, especially as we like depart the era of when people have had had attention spans to sit through an hour long movie. Um, this could well be one of the things it picks up as it rolls along, and we can look back at the days. Oh, remember when we used to watch those Christmas specials? Blah, blah, blah. You know, in the same way that people. Um, you know, talk about the Bing Crosby Christmas, 
uh, albums and things like that, which honestly, like kind of as a medievalist, I find abhorrent. Um, but, <laughs> um, but, but this is, you know, Christmas is um, a time when God became human and entered into our celebrations right mm-hmm. um and and to a certain extent we can extend um the same grace um to to others right um um though that doesn't need to mean relaxed standards right and i think a lot mm-hmm. of times at christmas there can be a confusion between grace and just like ah, oh, what the heck you yeah. know i'll do whatever makes me feel good <laughs> um but but at the same time um i think that um if you find yourself drawn to um, these movies and repetition and custom and things like that, um, I'd really, you know, encourage you to seek out ancient Christian carols and liturgies and traditions, mm-hmm. you know, that that do kind of allow you to share mm-hmm. an appreciation of Christmas with past ages, you know, mm-hmm. and an appreciation of, of Christ. Um um, and, and be formed by not just these secular liturgies, which I think is kind of unavoidable, um, mm-hmm. but also, you know, be formed by um, these ancient um, sacred liturgies because we have a real treasury of them. Um, so look up, you know, old Christmas carols on the Internet and, and um, you know, c- celebrate not only Advent, but also the 12 days of Christmas, you know, um, and, and there's such a rich store of, of things that we can um, really deeply enjoy and feel slightly less guilty about enjoying. So all of Dan's yes. listeners are going to get five golden rings for <laughs> calling birds. <laughs> lots of birds, lots of birds, <laughs> agile aristocrats. The PETA will get me for the turtle doves probably, but that's okay. Um. P- PNC actually prices. PNC Bank actually prices how much that would cost every year um, to, to kind of um, chart the cost of inflation. So just a little plug there. <laughs> go to pnc.com and find that somewhere. So how much it costs to actually buy your love the 12 days of Christmas. Inflation. Well, um, everybody, thank you so much. This was so much fun for me. Um, and like I said, um, if you have any feedback, I'm more than willing to hear it. Uh, make sure you just go to uh, either the Facebook page. I'd love to get more people liking that. Uh, that's a great place to uh, to scream at us in public or or to uh, to verify what we've said. But um, as also, if you go to sectarianreviewpodcast.com or just Google it, um, you'll find our uh, our normal array of show notes and you can comment you can find all the links that we've uh, been talking about but you can also comment there and uh, and extend the conversation um i, I do want to wish wish everybody a merry christmas um and uh, and i want to thank everybody for uh listening but also for participating in this this has been a lot of fun um we'll figure out what happens next year for christmas uh but for now this is danny anderson for kim anderson jordan poss and chris pepkin uh thank you for listening to another episode of the sectarian review podcast have a great new year <laughs>